I'm going to offer a quick disclaimer this morning as well. Uh, so pray and I will give you my disclaimer. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Uh, help me to be faithful in my preaching of the word. Help me to point to you over and over again and to preach your gospel. Um, help me to call folks to, to, to knowing Christ, to, to repentance and forgiveness of the sins, Lord. I pray that we would be your people, that we, you would be our God, that we would be washed in the blood of Christ and, and you know, renewed, made brand new in your grace. Um, pray that everything I say would be, would be your spirit moving. And Lord, that, that you would um, stop my tongue before I would ever say anything that would, would uh, draw people away from knowing you. And Lord, I, I pray that you would be with the folks who are here. Help them to hear from you. Help, help their hearts to be prepared to, to receive the word and, and that it would be your spirit moving in your words, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So my disclaimer, and this is, some of y'all have heard me say this in conversations, but I'm going to say it up front straight away. I am not preaching at any of you. I did not plan out a sermon based on anybody's life. Got it? I did not say, you know who really needs to hear this? I've done that maybe four times in my 20 years of ministry, and it has always gone badly, and I've learned that that is not the way to do it. This is a sermon that is, that is me preaching at me. And so if I step on your feet today, there may be a voice in the back of your head that says, Eric is targeting me. That voice is lying. Got it? Um, we're, we're talking about sin right now. Um, and actually, I I'm, I'm, was trying to come up with the right way to talk about this. Um, and and I, I, this week on Thursday, I had to take my kids to the dentist which uh, is a fun experience. If you've ever brought two small children to the dentist, uh, it, is, it is a real load of fun. Um, but while we were in Great Falls, or Haver, excuse me, while we were in Haver, we're driving around, we're running around looking for uh, something that I needed for the parsonage, and, and we're looking around, and we kept driving past the mall. You know what's at the mall right now? The carnival. The carnival. You know who saw the carnival? My children. I saw it first, and I drove faster. Um, I, I cannot prove it scripturally yet, but carnivals, uh, like for parents, are the, like, waiting room for hell. Okay? Like, there is a special punishment involved <laughs> where you've done something horrible, and you have to hang out in carnivals with small children. I, I hate them. I cannot hate them more. I hate carnivals. Um, I think I liked them as a kid, which is weird. Anyway... So this carnival is there, and I try to drive by it, and, like, of course, the thing that you don't want your kids to notice is the thing you, that naturally they gravitate to. And my daughter said, Dad, can we go to the carnival? And I, I did a dad thing. I told her, that's not a carnival. <laughs> Honey, those are monsters in disguise as a car- carnival. And they look attractive to draw you in so they can eat you. And, and we don't want to go anywhere near them. And Abby said, that's just not true, Dad. And I told her, haven't you ever heard of a Venus flytrap? Ah, right. So I pulled over and I pulled up a YouTube video and I showed her Venus flytraps. And, and she learned all about these attractive plants that draw their victims in and eat them just like carnivals. <laughs> and she still didn't believe me. 
And so I argued my case. I said, we're going into Big R or North 40 or whatever it is. And I said, I said, honey, look over at that carnival. Do you see any children at that carnival? She said, well, no, there are no children over there. I said, that's because they've all been eaten. <laughs> and she said, no, Dad, that's because it's closed. And I said, that's why we can't go to the carnival, honey. I'm sorry. Um, and that's why moms are better. <laughs> that was my Mother's Day moment for this sermon. Um, <laughs> last week, we started talking about sin, right? We, we, we were working through Romans 7. And Romans 7 is all about this thing that lives inside us, that takes up residence in our heart and steers us into oncoming traffic, right? It is the part of us that if you give us a rule, we'll rebel against it. And the part of us that makes us do things that on the other side you think, I hate doing things like that. Why did I do it? I hate it when I talk like that. Why did I say that? I hate it when I act that way. Why did I act that way? Everybody understands this. We've all done this, right? That is sin. It lives in us. It infects us. It is the dead part of us. There's another part that's alive in Christ because Christ died for us. And if we are his people, he gives us new life and makes us a new creation. And then we spend the rest of our lives playing tug of war with ourselves, where there's this part of us that wants to sin and there's this part of us that wants to do the right thing. But ultimately, and we, this is the rhino in the restaurant, or excuse me, the buffalo in the, in the coffee shop. That was it. Um, you know, the buffalo may be in the coffee shop, right? And it may be powerful while it's there, but it's not in charge. Like, it can't order new menu items, right? Like, it, it can make a mess. It can trash the place. It can make it hard to drink your coffee. Um, but it doesn't run the coffee shop. Um, in the same way, sin doesn't control us, but it sure is tough to deal with. Got it? So now we're going to talk about sin's strategy. How does sin operate within us? And it's a little like, nope, not by God. Actually, quite the opposite. It was a good guess, Mike. Um, sin cannot make us act in a certain way. It does not run the show if we're in Christ. Like we, It does not control us. And so like, it has to convince us. And it is very powerful in its convincing agent, right? And there are three examples in my story. I'm going to come back to it a few times, right? It makes everything look good and bright and fun, and then it draws you in and eats you, just like carnivals <laughs> or carnies. Um, the, the, you know, hey, this game is so easy. Come play it, and, and you can't win, right? Or at least you can't if you're me, um, the, the, sorry, I've covered some of this background here. All of us are infected by this sin. It resides in all of us, and all of us are tempted constantly like by this. And it's not something we just surrender to because part of being saved is we're called to be holy. It's like the, the analogy I always use, and some of you all have heard me say this a hundred times, and I apologize. I don't apologize. I'm not sorry because it's still true, and you should hear it a lot. It's a lot like being married, Right? I got married, there were certain agreements, and there are certain objectives I have to live out, and that is a part of the deal. I didn't get married so I can do my own thing. I got married so that I could pursue my wife romantically, and I could, like, not cheat on her, and I could not do these things, and I could not do these things. And, like, there are agreements, there are guidelines, and there are expectations as a part of being in a relationship. Same is true of God. Like, we are saved for the purpose of pursuing and becoming like God's people. With me? Um, and so all of like what we're about as Christians, all of what we're about as God's people is pursuing and knowing God more intimately, um, which is not that easy. Um, but we'll talk about that a little more in a future week. Got it? Um, so 
I started with the wrong slide. I'm not sure. Oh, this is me backtracking, but I'm not going to do that right now. Um, James. We're going to go to James this week, like James, right? One of my favorite books. Um, preached all the way through it a couple of years ago. And so some of y'all should know this verse by heart already because I preached on it at least once before, right? Um, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Why is that? Well, because God isn't the carnival, right? What God puts in front of us is, and it's actually the verses after this, every good and perfect gift comes from above. We all know that one because it's a fun verse, right? Um, The good things that God puts in front of us that he's not tempting us, he is saying, this is what I've got for you. Do you want it? Right? So um, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So like God doesn't play evil games. God is God. Um, He is good. He is holy. He is pure. He is actually so holy that he burns up like unholiness when he comes into contact with it, which is why you don't really want to be face-to-face with God, like apart from Christ. Like it's, it's a bad deal. Um, but each person is tempted. Now watch this. This is the important part. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then they go after, or excuse me, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we're going to talk about how sin works in us, how it drags us off, right? But usually it drags us off. It's like uh, Pinocchio. That's a really old movie. And so everybody who's under the age of like 30 hasn't seen it. Um, but Pinocchio, he gets convinced to go off, you know, with, with the guys who like turn him into a donkey. Um, they trick him. They tell him everything will be fun. You can do whatever you want. And he gets taken into slavery, basically, but he sings and dances the whole way. That's how sin works. We sing and dance the whole way into slavery, right? Um, and ultimately, the end point for sin is death. Like, the objective for sin in all of our lives is death. It's not physical death necessarily, although sometimes that's the case. It is spiritual death. It is where we reach this point where we are so like like far from God that we no longer know him or have a relationship with him. We are spiritually dead or we become enslaved to sin. Anybody ever had like a wicked or like a sin that they that they live out that they just can't stop doing and it just comes back over and over again you're like why do I keep doing this and you you set out I, I this is my example I it's not my worst sin I'm not trying to soften it but this is the one that was easiest uh, to explain when I when I quit smoking years ago I remember I would stop at the gas station to get gas, and I'd have to go in and pay, and I always bought cigarettes there. And it was like my thing. I said, I will not buy cigarettes this time. I will not do it. And then as I was lighting the cigarette on the way out of the gas station parking lot, I would think, where did this thing come from? Like, where on earth? Like, how did I get this? Um, as it, like, that's, I, sin, sin, its ultimate objective is to get you to reach this point where um, – where, where you no longer control what you're doing. I had, when I worked in the rehab, you, one of the questions you would ask all the time of, of guys who were going through, like who were addicts and like, like criminal addicts, and you would say, um, do you ever lie when it doesn't make sense where it would be just as easy to tell the truth? And like that becomes this pattern in, in a lot of addicts where they'll just lie when they could just tell the truth. And it wouldn't hurt them to tell the truth, but they lie so much it becomes this entrenched behavior that is like this sin that they live out. Um, that is spiritual death. That is the ultimate end point. Um, there are other deaths that we experience, deaths in our relationships, right? 
Anybody ever blow it big and wreck a relationship? Don't raise your hand. Um, anybody ever blow it big and like get to the point where the people around you don't want anything to do with you but have to? No, just me? <laughs> it's all right. Don't raise your hands. It's not one to be proud of. Um, like that is the objective of death. Death or sin. Sin kills everything good. Sin kills everything that glorifies God. Sin tears down and burns up and consumes. It is like locusts or um, soft lies. That's the one that's real bad out in the plains, right? They, they eat the bottoms of the plants. They all lay down and die. And you can't, that's it, right? Uh, so I've heard. I don't know anything about farming. I'm just repeating what I've heard. Um, so sin works through temptation is another part of what we're getting out of James there, right? We are tempted. Temptation is when something looks enticing, like my carnival, right? Wow, those lights are pretty, right? And you know what else they have at carnivals? Food. I was going to say cotton candy, which isn't technically food, um, but they also have funnel cake, right? And they have, I mean, they have all like deep fried Twinkies, which shouldn't exist because they're an abomination, but they are really good. Like, <laughs> like there are good things and they they draw you in, and it looks so wonderful. But ultimately, like, the trick with sin is that it's a lie. Um, one of the biggest lies we see here in, in this area, like, our culture, you know, like, we, we turn sex into this thing that, like, it, it is this thing that will make you happy no matter what. And you meet these men who become addicted to pornography because they believe that they will just be happy if. And it becomes this entrenched thing in them that, like, they become enslaved to, and that is it. You know, or... Um, if I just work hard enough at the expense of my family, at the expense of my relationships, then everything will be good. Work is the most important thing. My, my brother works in a, he's a bank vice president. And my brother, if you ever get to meet him, he is, he is amazing. Um, he's where, like, I came from the shallow end of the gene pool and my brother is like, you know, the Michael Phelps of the gene pool. Um, he... He, he tells me about how, like, these people will come and work for him, and they'll spend all their time working so that they can have expensive hobbies, and they'll sacrifice their families and everything else. And, like, when their lives are falling apart, they finally realize, oh, wow, like, all I have is work now. You know, this is it. This is all I've got, and expensive hobbies, and none of this is worth it. And, and like, it's this miserable way to live. Like, but it's this draw-in, right? Hey, you can have this. I'll give you an even easier example, though. Um, man, I'm going to be, uh, for a long time, my wife and I would argue and I know it's hard to believe, but I'm an arguer. I know I am not only am I good, a logical arguer, but I understand people. And so I'm really good at finding the spots to push so I can win my argument. Which, by the way, is because I am a horrible person at the core of me, right? And for years, I won every argument we had. And to me, being right and winning was the brass ring. And I remember sometimes I would argue with my wife, and I would be saying something that was horrible. And I knew it was horrible. And I would think, why am I saying this? This is awful. Why am I still talking? And sin in me said, but you know what? You can win. And that attractive thing, that temptation drew me in, and I owned it. And guess what I had when I was done? Nothing. Because at the end of the day, like this temptation, like temptation, all of it, 
is like that carnival ride, right? I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And then you get it, and it's not worth having. Because, honestly, those local carnivals are awful. Um, but beyond that, like, like with sin, like you, it draws you in, and it feels good, and it's fun at first. And then on the other end, you realize, wow, I sacrificed so much to get here, and my pockets are empty. And my... Anyway, that's part me complaining about carnivals. I'll stop it. Um, <laughs> sin works by dragging away our minds. That's the other thing James talked about, right? Like sin... Um, like it gets us thinking about how this is a good thing. And the really crazy thing is, like I, I have heard ministers who had affairs say, this is not a sin. Cheating on my wife is not a sin because I do so much for God. Surely he wants me to be happy. Right? Well, this is a natural feeling I have. Surely God wants me to be happy. Surely God will give me whatever I want if I ask, and this is what I want. Of course, that's, you know, that's crazy reasoning. Like my kids, if I gave my kids whatever they wanted, they would each be little like, like Augustus Glump. You know the, the story? That's uh, Willy Wonka, where he's the kid that eats everything. My, kid, my kids would eat nothing but candy, and they'd have no teeth. We wouldn't have to go to the dentist. We wouldn't have seen the fair, so there's that. But, like, all they would ever do. Uh, um, but that would be it. They would watch TV, and they eat candy 24-7, right? Like, but the things you want are sometimes bad for you. That's true, right? Sometimes you can look far off and say, if I could only have that. And it looks so good. Um, for a little while, I worked at a, uh, as an exterminator. Right out of college, I had a job as an exterminator. Worst job ever. Right? Well, no, I had a desk job after that, which was worse, because sitting at a desk is worse than dealing with cockroaches. Um, but when I was there, there was a guy who was working with me who had not gone to college. He had the same job. We started at the same time, and he had a brand-new Dodge Ram pickup truck. First, you know, the first model year, I think it still even had the paper plates. And he had the same job I had. And he said, wait a minute, you went to college? And you're driving that crummy little Ford Fiesta out there, the one that's held together by rain and rust. Like, yeah, I bet you're embarrassed to drive that thing. And I was like, yeah, it's not a real nice car, but I didn't pay for it, and I don't have to pay for it. And it gets like 100 miles to the gallon, so, you know. And he's like, yeah, but look at my truck. And as cool as that truck is, after six years, he's still paying for it, right? Because at the end of the day, those things look so nice, but they're so expensive. And he was right. I didn't belong in that job. Now I work here. Um, <laughs> that was a long time ago. And I'm not bitter. Um, but like, like the new shiny thing, like in our mind, we begin to justify, this is what I should have. And if I have it, I'll be happy. Anybody do this? Anybody talk themselves into doing something like that's just not okay? Because it seems like the right thing at the time. That was me arguing every time with my wife. The right thing to say was what got me to win. Um, when, I, when I was drinking a lot, the right thing to do was what made me not miserable in life. And that was what made me not miserable. When, you know, it, it, it was just the easiest thing to do. Like, and our minds conceive it. And we begin to think about it. And we begin to focus on it. We begin to, like, like lock in and hold on to and not let go. And it becomes this thing that we come back to over and over and over again. Anybody do this? 
And your mind draws back to it, but you know I am right right now. Or, but you know if I just take a quick peek and I spend two minutes looking at that website, or you know if I step over there and I'm just around those folks for like five minutes, it'll be okay. But in the end, like, like that's part of how our mind tricks us. We step closer and closer until eventually we fall in, right? I, uh, I always, when I quit smoking, I always kept a box of cigarettes in my toolbox in the garage. You know why? Because I didn't quit. <laughs> And in my mind, I kept that there because I knew I didn't quit. I knew I didn't want to quit, but I was lying to myself, and I was always going to go back. Um, It entices our affections. Ultimately, what sin does well, and it's just like the carnival, it's just like the Venus flytrap. It looks good. It smells good. It feels good. It makes me feel happy. It makes me feel exhilarated. It makes me feel fulfilled. It makes me feel self-satisfied. Hey, I won the argument. Hey, I made you look dumb. Hey... Um, dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? Like it is all there. Like it is all about our feelings. Our feelings will deceive us every time. They will trick us. They will draw us into crazy places. Um, our affection, our desire, our hunger. Um, I read a uh, thing the other day saying, well, why is it that they use half-dressed women to sell hamburgers? It has nothing to do with hamburgers. And, I I mean, we all know why, right? Because, first off, hamburgers are good, and, second, half-dressed women are attractive, and that makes us want to buy them, right? I mean, like, that's it. Like, it's not about, like, it is a temptation. It draws us in, and it sells us on something that is bad for us. Um, So sin, um, right, it tempts us. We convince ourselves in our head that this is the right thing. Our affections are enticed, which is all James. I'm just working my way right through James's passage here, which I, I would have to jump back like eight slides here to, to find it, so I'm going to just find it on paper. Um, and it, like having grabbed our affection, having drawn us in, um, it conceives in our will. Um, this is where we make the decision to act, right? Anybody made a decision to act? in a bad way and thought it through carefully and made this decision, this is what I'm going to do. I, uh, I knew a, a guy who, um, we were very good friends. He was one of the guys who helped me quit drinking. And one day he pulled me aside at work and he said, Eric, I am thinking about doing something that's wrong. And I, I'm wondering, is there any coming back if I've thought about it for months and just do something that's the wrong thing? Can I be forgiven for that? How does that work? And at the time I was called away on a support call. There was a I don't know, it was really weird. I was at the children's home, and there was a fight or something, and I left for about an hour, and I came back, and I sat down with him, and I said, so you're going to cheat on your wife, huh? He was like, oh, how did you know that? I was like, I don't know, it just popped in my head when I came in here. And he's like, yeah, I'm probably going to. I have a hotel room set aside. I'm going to go meet this woman. We've been talking on the Internet for about a year, and I I think this is the right thing to do. I don't like my wife that much. This is what, you know, and I was like, well, you're wrong. Like, you, you can't just say, oh, it'll be okay this one time. You're wrong. Like, you talked yourself into this. I'm hearing you talk. This is all you convincing yourself. This is the okay thing to do. And mind you, it didn't start with that. It started with them arguing, right? And it started with them, um, it started with him, actually. Like, he, he had this huge pornography problem. And it started with him, like, feeding this sin inside him. But then, like, they didn't get along. And it became like, well, she's an awful woman anyway, so I'm going to do whatever I want. Can't do a wrong thing the right way, though, is the problem. Um, And so sin conceived in his will. He had made this decision. This is what he was going to do. 
And like, like that is where you really get into trouble because then it's just about, you know, I have a plan in place. Now I'm going to act. Um, a lot of times you see this with, uh, there's this thing that we do in rehab called the cycle of offense. And it's this recurring cycle of thoughts and behaviors. And it works with just about everything. Um, but it's where you make this decision, I'm going to do this, and you have a plan in your head. And sometimes that happens in a second. But it is the plan that is in your head that this is what I'm going to do. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? For, for rehab, it is... I really want to drink. I'm just going to go hang out with a bar at the bar with my friends. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to be there. Guess what's going to happen if you hang out in a bar with your friends as an alcoholic? You're going to drink. Right? You know one way or the other about it. And you know you're going to, but you're putting yourself there because in your mind you have a plan that gets you where you want to be. And it's that way with every single sin. It just is. It's that way with lust. It's that way with like all of this stuff. It is all like this thing that we decide. I'm going to just put myself close and it's going to happen. And that's all right. Um, for years, I knew how to make my wife argue with me. Or even worse, and this is the one I still struggle with, is I know how to, let my wi- how to get my wife to let me buy whatever I want. And I have a system and how I approach it. And I'll catch myself start starting to do this. Saying, i got to stop. I can't manipulate my wife into letting me do this. You know, and I try really hard not to, but it's a temptation. And it's not right. Right? Because it's just not right. Like, it's not right to manipulate. I'm an awful person. I confess this fully. But I'm saved by grace because Jesus died for me. Um, and it's a wonderful thing, and I'm trying to be better. Um, finally, having conceived it is birthed. It is Mother's Day. It feels appropriate. Right? Every mom in the room. Once they're born, you can only do so much to steer it. Right? Like, they're going to do what they're going to do. And you might want to strangle them some days, but you can't stop them. You know, they're going to live the life that they live. Um, Don't point or anything like that, but it is this reality. Once sin is conceived and it is birthed, it has a life of its own, and it will do what it wants to do, and it will act the way it wants to act. Um, I never met anyone who um, became an alcoholic who would steal and um, who would, you know, do crazy things like drink mouthwash and, and things like that, like, I never met someone like that who said, this is what I want. But once that became a part of their life, it took control and it led them, right? I never met a man who said, I'm going to spend an hour a day hunting down pornography. Never met a man who said that, right? But once that is birthed, it happens. I never met somebody who said, I'm going to say nasty things to the people around me because I'm bitter about these problems. Like, I never met anybody who said that, but it happens, doesn't it? I never met somebody who said, I'm going to shut out the people I... I care about because I'm angry, which is something I do sometimes. I get mad and I shut down, and, you know, i got to go and be by myself for a little while. Like, like I, I never met anybody who said that, like, planned that. But once sin is born, once it is out of the womb, once it is on its own legs, it is going to do what it wants. Sometimes it's going to color on the walls, right, moms? Sometimes it's going to spill paint on the carpet. Sometimes it's going to run off and never come home. Sometimes it's, I mean, like, it is going to do what it wants. And that is the way that sin works. Um, James ends his passage with, um, eventually we become enslaved by sin and we die spiritually. Like, this is the, the end goal. Like, we, we just get stuck in it. And sometimes it's little things. It's, I'm going to sleep in. And then prayer goes to the wayside because I don't have time. Or I'm going to, you know, whatever. I mean, we just get stuck and we become slaves to it. Um, we weren't designed to be that way. We weren't 
like made to live in sin. We weren't made to die spiritually. We weren't made to be far from God. But that is the way it works. That's the way our life is, like if we allow this to be born and to control us. Um, Genesis 39, uh, which is a great, fun passage. Do we know this one? Potiphar, Joseph and the wife. Um, Joseph was a good-looking man, right? Um, So Potiphar, having brought Joseph into his home, uh, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Um, And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Um, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then, now watch this, this is the important line. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, he, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her um, or even be with her. And so like, he at this point was like, I'm not even going to be in the room with you because you're a problem, right? Which, I, I, I mean, Joseph's in a tough spot at this point. But his defense, so Joseph encounters the temptation, and I'm sure that all of these things went through his head, Right? There, I mean, almost certainly tempted. Joseph wasn't a eunuch. He wasn't, you know, he was probably thought about it. And his response was, how could I do such a wicked thing? And how could I offend God that way? Um, the two big defenses God gives us, the two big defenses that we can run back to over and over again in our own head, aside from Joseph's obvious one where he just stayed away from it. Like, and I'm going to tell you, humanity is this way. If you stand near opportunities to sin long enough, guess what's going to happen? Going to do it. <laughs> um, if you put yourself in stupid situations enough, you're going to do stupid things. If you charge into like places where you're going to fall on your face, you're going to fall on your face. Um, and so he stays away from it. But the thoughts that he used to protect himself, number one, is how vile sin is. Now, let's put this into perspective because this is an easy one to lose track of. God's son was whipped, right? And usually when you were whipped in the ancient world, that was a death penalty offense. You could literally be whipped to death where they got you out from your scourging and like there was no skin to hold your organs in and you just fell apart. So Jesus did that. And he, like king of the universe, angels sing his praises. They took this crown of thorn and put it on his head and pounded it on there and made fun of him, calling calling him the king of the Jews, like mocking him. They stripped him naked They nailed him to a piece of wood, and they hung him in public for six hours. And that's bad. God, the Father, turned his back on him, and Jesus was alone, like separated from God. Like, that is holy wow. I mean, like, I I thought about talking about all these ways that the Bible describes sin, because the Bible has this really great way of being colorful and colloquial, um, like, like sin is compared to some pretty gross and horrible stuff. But at the end of the day, to understand, like, this is how bad sin is, that Christ had to go through this to make you clean. You are forgiven because Christ was punished in your place. You are washed of your, like, like iniquities. Like, all of the bad stuff you do, all the bad stuff you're going to do, going to do, that just kills me. Because Jesus was tortured that way and died and was punished in your place. 
That's how bad sin is. Like, man. Like, and this is this thing we forget because we begin to think it's just a little sin, right? It's just a little gossip. It doesn't matter. Anybody done that one? It's just me. I don't gossip. It's <laughs> it is just, it's just words, right? It's just a little coveting. God doesn't really care that I'm coveting. It's just a few pictures. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just. I mean, like it's justifying in our heads. It's making it small. Um, and it's part of how we get tricked. That's uh, Every AA meeting starts with uh, where you read this, this big, long thing, and it can be really boring after the hundredth time you've heard it. Um, but there's a powerful line, and every time I hear it, it jumps out at me. Um, remember, we deal with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power, and that one is God. May you find him now. Um, I'm going to rephrase this. Because AA came out of Christianity. Like, AA was originally a Bible study group. And the truth is, remember, friends, the enemy we deal with is sin. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Like, the enemy we deal with is sin that tells us to hold resentment forever and make ourselves miserable. The enemy we deal with is sin that says that guy doesn't deserve to be forgiven. The enemy we deal with is sin that says, hey, it's really not that bad to gossip because everybody does it, and they're probably gossiping about you anyway, right? The enemy we deal with is sin that says, I don't have to love that guy because I'm sure Jesus doesn't. Anybody ever? No, it's never mind. <laughs> Um, and it tricks us, and it stumbles us, and it gets us all turned around. I, I love doing this because I'm an awful dad. I will argue with my kids about things, and I'll just turn them around in circles so they're falling all over each other, like arguing. And they get all frustrated and mad at me. Any other dads do that? Like, it's the most fun thing about having kids. Um, that's how sin deals with us. It leads us around by the nose and gets us stumbling over ourselves. And we think if I could just have this, I'd be happy and we get it and we're not happy. We think, well, if I just had that, I'd be happy and we get it and we're not happy. If I just had that, I'd be happy. And guess what? Still ain't happy. But the carnival lights are so pretty. I should keep coming in. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Sin is vile. Sin is repulsive. It is abhorrent. And remembering that, keeping that in mind, puts us in a spot where we stay away from it. Where it's not just this. It is a big deal. I, uh, I often ask men who are struggling with pornography and, and make it not a big deal, hey, if your wife was doing this, would you be cool with it? Man, that's a different conversation, isn't it? Offer some perspective. Um... God is full of grace and goodness. So on the one end is this, and the other is this. God is amazing. God is so amazing that, like, to be close to him is better than anything we could possibly desire. Like, like C.S. Lewis in uh, the beginning of uh, The Way to Glory says that the problem with men is that our desires are too weak. We're like a little kid who's happy playing in the mud in the yard when he could have a trip to the beach, Right? Mud in the yard is crummy. Beach is good. I don't like the beach, but um, 
point being like, like focusing on who God is and understanding how loving and awesome and amazing he is. Getting up in the morning and looking at the bear paws and saying, my God made that and I can know him. I can be that God's friend. Walking out at night is one of my favorite things to do in Montana. Walk out late at night, look up and you see those stars spread out and there's so many of them you can't even count them and think, my God hung those there. Not just little lights in the sky, but burning balls of gas millions and millions of miles away so that I could enjoy this moment. That's my God. When you start putting into perspective how amazing God is, offending him is awful. To put it into a smaller way, one of the things I realized as a husband, I've gotten to be a better husband when I realized how great my wife is, how great of a mother she is, how great of a wife she is, how much like, like better she is than I deserve, to be honest with you, how out of my league she is. And I will do something awful, and I'll back up and realize I just did something to hurt somebody who is so fantastic. Why would I do that? Like, wow, how, how could I be that guy? And it always spurs me to go back and make it right. Actually, it's times where it's left me broken, like, constantly. The two big things in your head, right? Sin is vile. That carnival is not as fun as it looks. And you can never leave once you get there. It's like the Hotel California, only not sung well. Like if I sang it. Um, <laughs> and the second is God is amazing, and he's forgiving. And Jesus died for us, and Jesus is the most... Is the real deal where the carnival is just lights and fluff. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught hold of him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. Guy pulled out of his jacket to run away because he would rather run off embarrassed than be there. Right? This is how we respond to sin. It is there we take off and head in the other direction. Um. The other way that this works, by the way, and this will be my last bit here, and I'm, I will let you all be, uh, to go and enjoy Mother's Day, um, having had a nice nap beforehand. Um, this is Titus 2, 11 to 14. Um, and this is the cure, and it's a lie we believe, right? But it's not, a lie like, it's not a lie like the carnival. It's a lie like the lie I told my kids that it was monsters. Nobody believed it, right? Like, I did not even get close. And I'm a pretty effective storyteller but my kids didn't even come close to believing it not even close right like they they looked at me like i was like i was nuts and they knew i just didn't want to go to the carnival um it's one of those lies but it's one of those lies that we can buy into because it's a pretty lie for for the grace of god has appeared that offers salvation to all people got that God's grace is here. All people have the opportunity to be saved. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and, li- and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Meaning, God's grace comes to us, it saves us, and it teaches us to be different. And, ap- and the appear, excuse me, in this, to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, there's two things here. Christ died to save us. Jesus was suffered, died, save us. And it is a free gift 
you follow Jesus, you are forgiven. You don't earn it. You don't have to be holy enough. You don't have to be perfect. You are saved, washed, made new, pure, brand new, saved. Wow. Everybody knows that one, right? The lie is that that is separate from the other half. Right? You can be saved and not get better. You can be saved and live any way you want and assume that God is cool with it. It is not the truth. We are saved. Like it says this great line in Romans. It is for, it is for freedom that Christ has set us. Oh, wow. We don't know that one. Free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're not saved. We're not like pulled away from sin so that we can jump back into it. We're not made clean so that we can get dirty again. We get dirty again because we're sinful. But it's not like, I'll forgive you. Now go sin some more so I can forgive you some more. That's not it. My wife didn't marry me so I could continue to be a single man. She married me so I could be her husband, right? Um, Or because she was insane at the moment. I don't know. Um, You cannot separate the two. But there's a protection there because grace teaches us we're made clean and made whole and we're made pure and we can learn to be self-controlled and holy and godly. Never perfect. You're going to struggle forever. But we can become different. Um, separating them is a bad lie. It's a dumb lie. But it's a lie we learn. Oh, I'm forgiven. It's cool. Well, I, I'm forgiven. I don't have to. That's the same lie that men believe when they say, I'm married. I don't have to court my wife anymore. Right? Oh, she, she doesn't need any more romance. We're married. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the same way. I mean, it, I got the job. I don't have to work as hard now. Or I talk to kids. I'm done with school. Life will be easy now. You can't, you can't separate them. It is a reality. We are saved so we can know Jesus. We are saved so we can become something better. We're saved so we can become who we were meant to be. Does that mean life will be easy? No. As a matter of fact, it's harder this way. But it's better. Because honestly, the carnival in the parking lot at the mall, not very good. Like, eternity with Christ, worth having. Actually, the peace we know by knowing him, worth having. But it's harder. Now, close in prayer and I'll let you go and we can go do Mother's Day stuff. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that, that you be with us, Lord. Those of us who struggle with sin, who who wrestle with it. Some of us who are, are stuck in it, Lord, um, our wheels are spinning and there's mud flying everywhere, but we can't seem to move forward. I pray that you would be with us. Help us to, to recognize that our enemy, that the sin inside us is a, is a powerful thing, cunning, baffling. Lord, help us to, to lean on you and to turn to you and to give you control of us. Lord, we know that only by your power and only by your grace we can be saved. Only by your your hand can we be made pure. And I, I pray that the folks who feel challenged and, and um, convicted today, Lord, that they would, they would be challenged and convicted to chase after you. Lord God, that, that folks with recurring entrenched sin would seek out accountability and, and relationships and that, that you would inspire us to desire you above all else. Not a vague desire, but a hunger. Um, a hunger like my kids hungered after that carnival, Lord. Something big and real and worth having. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good day, folks. And happy Mother's Day.